My name's Dale. I'm part of the staff team here. Um, I love it looking at you through the cross. <laughs> and I really hope you will also look at me through the cross. Um, the human nose is, is, in, and is an incredible thing. How's that for a transition? The human nose. Incredible thing. Many words for smell. Scent. Aroma. Stench. Here's a good one. Pew. Yeah. <laughs> You're sitting in one. Lots of words for smell. Um, we're going to talk about smell a little bit today, but I found some smell fun facts from the internet. And so maybe they're not facts, but they're interesting, so good enough. Um, smell is the most sensitive of all the senses. People can remember something they smelled with 65% accuracy a year later. Contrast that to what people saw, they can remember with about 50% accuracy three months later. Interesting. 75% uh, of emotions are triggered by smell. Pleasure, well-being, emotion and memory. Apparently a woman smells much better than a man. Now I'm talking about ability, but maybe you could go either way. <laughs> Apparently there are some smell disorders as well. Uh, anosmia is the complete inability to detect smells. Pyrosmia is the change in normal perception of smells. So I've been told by um, my wife and others, I think both of my daughters, that when you're pregnant, your, smell, your sense of smell changes. And so things that used to smell okay smell terrible. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever heard that things that used to smell terrible smell good, but maybe I'm, I, I try not to look at anybody in the eye right now. Around the room. Phantosmia is smelling something that isn't there. The other day I was on the treadmill in the morning, and I do this sometimes, uh, the treadmill, and I smelled popcorn. <laughs> this is at 7 in the morning, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, that's a bad sign, right? Because if you smell something like that, maybe you're going to have a really big problem, like a seizure or a stroke or something worse. So uh, after a while, I actually went upstairs. I'm in the basement, and I went upstairs, and sure enough, my wife was making popcorn. <laughs> uh, so it was okay. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to call 911. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered about Jesus' smell? Jesus smelled like something, like someone. Smell can attract and smell can repel. I grew up in a, uh, visiting my grandparents, and they didn't have indoor plumbing in their farmhouse, so they had outhouses. And uh, that was an experience. I still have a very powerful smell memory related to that. Outhouses, and then when it was really cold in the winter, they would have a bucket under the stairs in the basement. That's disgusting. <laughs> that's terrible. So that's a smell that repels. But there are other smells that actually attract, like maybe the um, fabric softener you remember from your childhood. Or maybe the smell of a newborn puppy. <laughs> uh, those are smells that attract. I wonder... How Jesus' smell attracted or repelled people. Smell was pervasive in ancient culture, the world of Jesus. Imagine the place of his birth. He was born in a place where there were animals and probably lots of smells that we wouldn't normally see today. In our country, we have a lot of emphasis on 
getting rid of smell. So we have a sign out there in the lobby saying, please try not to smell too much. It doesn't say that. It says avoid strong perfumes and deodorant. But then we said, well, no, but deodorant is okay, just not really strong deodorant. <laughs> but please, deodorant. <laughs> yeah. So this morning we're going to look at a story in the Bible that relates to the sense of smell. I'm going to read it uh, for you, but it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. From John 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint, that's about a half a liter, of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. You will not always have me. Amazing story uh, about extravagance, about intimacy, about love, about uh, strange stuff that happened in the life of Jesus. But I think it's also a story about intimate offering. And if we see Jesus as Son of God and we see intimate offering to Jesus, then I think we could probably see this as sacrifice and even as worship, an act of worship to the Son of God. So this morning I've entitled this talk, uh, The Smell of Extravagant Worship. Quite a few connections in the, in the Bible between smell and worship. So imagine the most common worship act of the Old Testament, which would have been animal sacrifice. So imagine if you lived downwind from the temple and you would smell burning flesh. Often. I don't know if you've ever smelled burning flesh. It doesn't smell like barbecue. It doesn't smell like burning hair. It's kind of gross, actually. Disgusting. But maybe if you were somebody who lived downwind of the temple or the tabernacle in ancient Israel maybe that would have been an amazing smell to you. And when you smelled it, you would have thought, wow, someone's worshiping again. Isn't that great? Smell permeated Old Testament, and especially Old Testament worship. Now, apparently these burnt offerings weren't just pleasing as an offering to God, but apparently they were actually a pleasing smell to God. Genesis 8, 20 and 21 says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and, taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. The smell of Noah's worship seemed to please God. Of smell. Exodus 29:18 says, "Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented 
to the Lord. Another example of smell. And there are actually lots of verses like this in the Old Testament. If you look in the New Testament for words, words or verses about smell, we see at least one in 2 Corinthians 2, where it says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. For we are the pleasing aroma of Christ. We. Hmm. Well, that makes me wonder. You, I smell like Jesus. You smell like Jesus? According to 2 Corinthians, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ. So in the Old Testament, it's burning flesh. In the New Testament, it's actually the people who follow Jesus. Christ followers. Those of us here today who follow Jesus, we're the ones that have the smell. The Bible also says there are smells that are offensive to God. So in Amos 5, it says this. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and de deprive the poor of justice in the courts. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. This is God talking. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Stink. Even though you bring me the burnt offerings and the grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring the choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Wow. Seems like just bringing a high-quality offering isn't enough. Apparently, God also wants the heart of the person who is offering this thing, whatever it is, he wants the heart of that person to be right, and he wants the other actions of that person to be right, the other things they do in their lives. Let's look a little bit close, more closely at the passage in John 12. I think we could say that a big picture, big biblical picture approach to worship would be that Biblical worship is revelation and response. God reveals himself, humans respond. If you look in the Bible, you'll see that just about in every case where worship terminology is used, that's what happens. God reveals himself, humans respond. In this case, what kind of responses do we see? Well, let's look at Mary's offering for a few minutes. First thing about Mary's offering, it was extravagant. It says a year's wages. At least that's what Judas said. The pastor says it was really valuable, really valuable stuff, this extravagant offering. Maybe even a little bit wasteful, at least from a human perspective. The perfume is extremely valuable and potent. So the word in the passage is pure nard. But uh, another bigger word for this perfume is spike nard. That's another word for it. Has anybody ever spelled, smelled spikenard? Nobody? I, I, was, uh, I actually did this teaching time at the gathering last week, and one person said he'd smelled it, and it was in, the, in Jerusalem. It was in a place, and he smelled it. It's from a root of a plant that's found in the Himalayan mountains in India. Um, when I was in India a few years ago teaching, I... Uh, talked with the students there, and I said, so does anybody know what spikenard is? And they said, oh, yeah, that's really good stuff. comes from this plant that they find in the, they call it the Himalayas, not the Himalayas, but whatever, the Himalayas. That's where we get this spikenard from. And I said, oh, do you have some? And they said, no, it's way too expensive. We ship it over to North America. 
where the rich people are. They buy it over there. Um, but apparently it's still a thing. And I googled it. You can buy it. It's not like an arm and a leg, but it's not cheap either. Um, anyway, it's from this plant. The house was filled with the fragrance of spikenard. A smell would have stuck to Jesus for quite a while. In fact, many people believe that when Jesus went to the cross, very soon after this time, that he would have still smelled like spikenard. It's very interesting. Smell would have lingered. She poured it. She, you know, usually when I see people putting on perfume, I don't do perfumes or colognes, but when I see people do that, usually they don't pour it on, right? They just dab it on or something like that. She poured it. A half a liter. She dumped it out. Extravagant gift. And this is, this is one of the most common gifts in the Bible that we see in, as an act of worship is actually gifts of resources. Whether it's that prize animal or that tithe, that money that God gave that you give back to him, or a story like this, where a very expensive thing, in a sense, was wasted. Very extravagant gift. Second thing, so the first thing is the offering was extravagant. Second thing, the offering was public. Mary was not shy about demonstrating her worship in front of others. And in, in this case, it, she should have been. I mean, that was really risque to do what she did. Um, it was crazy in some ways, especially in that culture. Um, when it comes to giving offerings that we give, I think sometimes we've strayed a little too far in the... Um, teaching from Matthew that says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Left hand know what your right hand is doing. Um, you're probably familiar with that passage in Matthew 5. And, and we miss the part a little bit later in the same passage where it says, let your good deeds show before men so that they may glorify your Father who's in heaven. There's a tension there, right? You don't want to show off, but you also don't want to hide too much. Uh, Mary didn't hide. Mary didn't do things in secret. She did it in public. Crazy. Third thing, the offering was very intimate. I've heard some people suggest that really this was Mary responding to um, that Jesus healed her brother. So Lazarus, remember the story of Lazarus? He died. Jesus came to their home, Mary and Martha's home, and he healed him. And some people have suggested, well, this is just being thankful to Jesus for healing her brother. And so she thought, well, I'm going to be so thankful, I'm going to dump all this perfume on his feet. And, you know, you could possibly get that from this passage. It doesn't say it, but you could imply it, right? Because it does say that Lazarus was raised from the dead. But I want to look at another passage, and it's, it's a parallel passage. So in the Bible, there are often stories that are almost exactly the same, but slightly different. And some people think that there's, it's just... They're combining things, just like how you tell stories, and you, it's not like um, you don't get the, the whole thing exactly right, but the key ideas you get right. But some people think that. So this is from Luke 7, a parallel story about the woman. And so it's the same deal. The, the woman pours the perfume on Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her hair, weeps. It's the same story. Except there, it's not Judas who says what's going on. It's actually Simon. Simon is a Pharisee who owns the house in that story. And so Simon says to Jesus, do you know what you're doing here? Like, this woman is really not very clean. She's not very pure, and you're letting her touch you. That's crazy. Are you willing to do that? This is Jesus' response in Luke 7. 
It says two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. And which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. I believe Mary was profoundly aware of her own sin, and as a result, he loved much. So back to the idea about revelation and response and how God reveals himself first. Well, in this case, God revealed himself in the extravagant forgiveness of sin. The extravagant grace. <laughs> this woman who needed forgiveness as much as anybody, God gave extravagantly. And her response was equally extravagant. Well, maybe not equally, but hugely extravagant for her. She responded by giving this very, very expensive, apparently it, it appears to be wasteful offering. That was her response to what Jesus did for her. Maybe Simon in the story, you know, where Jesus said, Simon, you never gave me any water for my feet. You never, you never did any of these things. Maybe the problem was that Simon wasn't aware of his own sin. Now, if you, if you follow that reasoning through, you start thinking, wow, if you're not aware as much of your sin, you don't do that much extravagance in your offerings, in your worship. Lack of awareness of sin, lack of extravagance. On the other hand, large awareness of sin, large extravagance. Of course, you could easily go the other way and say, cheap offering, not awareness of sin. And I think there's some truth to that. I think that it's not as much about, oh, Mary was a really bad sinner and others weren't. Now, actually, according to the Bible, we're all sinners. Every one of us in this room is a sinner. That means we've done things to violate our relationship with God. Every one of us has. Every one of us needs to dump the big thing of perfume. The question is, are we aware of it? Do we know that our sins are so great that God's extravagant love and grace and forgiveness is also incredibly great? If we do, I think it impacts how we handle our offerings. Um, and I'm not just talking about resources. This passage is about something that was worth money. I think sometimes we offer time extravagantly. Sometimes we offer our gifting extravagantly. Sometimes we offer our stuff extravagantly. That's the story here. So a couple of concluding comments. Um, God provides extravagant love and forgiveness. He just does. And, you know, whenever I see 
not the nice crosses, but whenever I see kind of a rough cross like this one here, it's from, it reminds me of the extravagant offering of Jesus. He didn't give a bunch of perfume. He actually gave his life. Second, we need to become aware of our sin. God gives us this extravagant offer of grace. We need to become aware of our sin. And I would even go as far as to say we also need to remember that God delivered us from our sin. Worship, then, is the right response to that extravagant offering from God, that extravagant revelation. This morning, I, I wonder, what is the smell of our worship? Do we have, and I'm not talking about songs here. I know we usually use the term worship to talk about songs, and that's okay. Usually in songs we praise, sometimes we confess, we declare God's holiness. We do lots of very worshipful things in songs. But songs aren't the only way we worship. Lots of other ways we worship. Uh, Worship is an extravagant response to the revelation of God. And again, this morning, what does our worship smell like? Uh, just following up on what Bruce said, you know, that, that risk that says um, really expensive, valuable stuff, we're actually going to let go of it for something bigger. What does that smell like? And so this morning as we sing, um, maybe even as we give, so we're doing an offering a little bit later in the service, maybe even as we give, I want to invite you to think about how our worship smells. And if you need to look at something, for me it's often helpful to look at something that focuses me a bit. Look at the cross. Maybe like you or like me, it'll help remind you about the sacrifice that Jesus did. The extravagant offering that he did first. Maybe. Maybe our worship will smell wonderful to him. Maybe even today.